About three weeks ago, Jessica and I were getting some home repairs done on our house. And the reason why we were getting the home repairs done was because we had a home inspection uh, and there was an apparent leak under our house. Uh, and so the home inspector called it an apparent leak because there was a pipe beneath our house, this specific pipe in particular, that had a piece of rust forming on the outside. And our home inspector told us that we needed to get this pipe replaced as a part of the home inspection process. There was an apparent leak forming rust on the outside of the pipe. And so we called a plumber to come out and go under our house to take care of this leaky problem on our crawl space. Uh, and he went under there and did a great job. He was under there for a few minutes. He came out. And then he went to his truck and he got a handsaw. Now, I don't know a lot about plumbing, uh, but I would know enough to know that whenever a handsaw gets involved and you head under a crawl space with a handsaw, things aren't going all that well. So he heads under there and I'm in our house listening to him saw away, saw away, saw away. And then he comes back to me with this here piece of pipe which now rests safely in my office. And he told us something that surprised us. There's no leak under your house. He said the reason why that there is rust forming on the pipe is because of what's happening on the inside of the pipe. And as you can see in the picture behind me, the pipe was corroded on the inside to say the least, the vent pipe was no longer doing its job because it was corroding from the inside out. The rust that we saw on the outside was simply a reflection of what was happening on the inside. I think I scared our plumber when I enthusiastically asked if I could keep that piece of pipe. I, I don't think that he has had many of his customers ask for pipes that have been obviously damaged and in need of repair. But the reason why I asked him for this piece of pipe, the reason why I kept it on the shelf in my office, is because I kind of had this aha moment. I had this aha moment because I had been living and dwelling in this passage in James for about a week, and there in my hand was an embodiment of the very thing that James is trying to tell us this morning. That James is trying to offer us some wisdom. And what I held in my hand, this pipe in my hand, was a symbolic reminder of that wisdom that he was trying to offer us. Now, I intentionally used the word wisdom this morning. Because when we talk about the book of James, we're, we're talking fundamentally about a book of wisdom. Typically, when we think of wisdom in the Bible, we, we think of the Old Testament, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, these Old Testament books of wisdom. But wisdom is a theme that continues through the New Testament as well, and the book of James is all about wisdom. And wisdom is always trying to answer the question, how do I live life well? What does it look like to live a good life? That's why the book of James is such a practical book, because it's fundamentally about how we live our lives as people of faith. 
And James takes this topic of wisdom head on in the passage that we heard this morning. And he tells us that there are two kinds of wisdom, two ways of living that we can choose to live. There's this wisdom from above and there's wisdom from below. Wisdom from below, he says, is this way of life. It's this way of going through life where you're filled with selfish ambition, bitter envy, and boastful arrogance. And he doesn't just tell us about the way of life, the operating principles of this way of life, but he also tells us the fruit or the harvest of the way of life. And he says, if you live according to wisdom from below, then your life will be filled with chaos and disorder. But he also says there's another kind of wisdom. There's another way of life that we're invited to live. Life according to wisdom from above. And this is a life that is pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and integrity, not showing any partiality. And James tells us that if we live that kind of life, then the fruit that we'll produce is a harvest of righteousness, of peace for those who sow in peace. A wise life is a life of peace. If you want to live wisely, if you want to live well, then you will live a peaceful life. That you will experience peace all around you. And that's typically how we think of peace, right? We think of peace as something that happens around us, something that happens in the relationships that we experience on a day-to-day basis. But James offers us this profound insight this morning that we shouldn't miss if we want to understand true peace. Because right after he describes these two kinds of wisdom, wisdom from below and the resulting fruit, and wisdom from above and the fruit of peace, he then writes this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James begins talking about wisdom, and he begins calling us to this wise life of peace, this harvest of righteousness, this harvest of peace for those who sow in peace. And then out of nowhere, the beginning of chapter five, chapter 4, he follows it up with this very violent and chaotic image. And he does that. He, he contrasts these two things to draw out a point that is crucial for us to hear this morning. And that is a life of peace on the outside starts on the inside. A life of peace on the outside starts on the inside. That if you want to experience peace outside of yourself, then that starts with experiencing peace within yourself. If you constantly find yourself in situations that are filled with chaos and violence and disorder all around you, that most likely reflects something that's happening within you. 
When I was in graduate school, I went through a fairly bad breakup. I had dated a young lady for several months, and after dating her for several months, decided that no longer wanted to be in that relationship, and so I gently and kindly but directly told her that we shouldn't date anymore. And she handled that well for about 24 hours. And then things began to change, and, and she began to act differently, and, and it became more of a storm of emotion and revenge and hatred towards me. Uh, and as she escalated over the semester, I found myself escalating over the semester as well. I also found myself reacting in ways that were revengeful and filled with hate and a lot of unpleasant emotion. And there was a man I was working for at the time who I now consider a mentor, who I had been working for for about three years at this point. And so we had reached the place in our relationship where I could be very honest with him and I knew I wouldn't get fired. And so one day I was talking about this situation. And by talking, I mean I was venting and ranting about this situation. And he did what he did so well when he was still alive. He listened and he listened some more. And after I got done and took a long breath and he could tell that I was done, he took a long pause and he said two words, manage yourself. And it caught me off guard so much so, I didn't expect him to say that, that I asked for him to clarify and explain what he was talking about. I said, Wilson, you need to manage yourself because you cannot control what she does or what she says. You can only control you. You can only manage yourself. And if you continue to let her decide how you're going to react, then she is going to end up managing you. And that one encounter and those two words lodged in my heart and kind of changed the trajectory of some significant moments in my life. Specifically, it brought to my attention this, this need for me to do some inner work. It brought to my attention this need for me to take an inner journey and to look on the inside of how I was doing and how I was or was not managing myself. And at the time, I was really impressed by my mentor's wisdom, and I thought he had just plucked this out of thin air. But then, after reflecting on the event many years later and reflecting on that phrase, I realized that there was wisdom in what he said because he was drawing on deeper biblical wisdom than his own mere whims. He was drawing on wisdom from James. And he was reminding me of something that James reminds us of, that if we do not manage ourselves, then everything and everyone around us will manage us instead. That if we want to experience real peace in our lives, that starts on the inside. That a life of peace doesn't start on the outside, it starts on the inside. And that one bit of wisdom has changed and shaped so much of what I think it means to be a person of peace, a follower of Jesus, a person who tries to sow in peace in order to reap a harvest of peace.
And I think it's a reminder for us this morning to be people who are willing and ready to take a look on the inside. A people who are willing and ready to do some internal work, some internal reflection. Because the chaos and disorder that you're experiencing all around you may actually only be a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And if this is a journey that you want to take, if this is a path that you want to walk down, if this is wisdom that you want to live out of, then I want you to see one more thing that James says to us this morning. It's a question that he poses and a reminder. Because right after he's talked about this life of wisdom from above, and, and right after he's talked about all of this conflict and chaos that we sometimes experience within, and after he talks about removing ourselves from friendship and relationship with the world in order to enter into relationship with God, he says this, Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the Scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us all the more grace. In this teaching about our internal world, James reminds us of one of the most dominant themes in all of Scripture. And that is that God is a God who desires to dwell with us. From Eden to the tabernacle to the temple to Jesus Christ to the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that God is a God who wants to dwell with us. And what I think is so significant about this teaching of James this morning is, is not just that he reminds us of this truth about who God is. God is a God who wants to dwell with us. But he reminds us of that in the midst of him talking about how chaotic and disordered our lives can often feel like. In other words, we do not have to have our lives together before God chooses and desires to dwell with us. It reminds me of what a preacher said many, many years ago that has always stayed with me. He said, God never forces himself upon any of us. But instead, God patiently and lovingly waits for us to invite him in. God patiently and lovingly waits for us to invite him in. And when we do, when we invite the God of peace to take residence within us, the God of peace begins to reorder our internal world, and the God of peace will transform us into instruments of peace. I was on a prayer retreat last December. I went away for a couple of days at the beginning of December to spend some time in silence and prayer before God. I needed to get away. I needed to be in this sacred space, and so I went on this retreat that was guided by some other people, and I intentionally went on that retreat so that they could set my schedule and tell me when to eat and tell me when to break and tell me when to pray, and all I had to do was show up. And one of the gifts of this prayer retreat was a series of prayers that these instructors, these guides, would pray over us at the beginning of each session. And there was one prayer in particular that just lodged in me and has stayed with me almost this whole year since last December. And it's this prayer. Purify our conscience, almighty God. By your daily visit visitation, 
that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lived and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I love that image. May God find in us a mansion prepared for himself. It's this beautiful image that, that when, within all of us is this home with a lot of nooks and crannies, closets and hallways, different rooms and dimensions of who we are. And this prayer reminds us that part of what it means to be a person of faith is to open the front door and invite God in. And to open all of the closets, to open all of the hallways, to leave no part of your internal house untouched by the peace of God. And the God of love and peace will dwell and reign in us now and forevermore. And the more that we invite the God of peace in, the more our whole internal world will be a world of peace. And then, then we can go out into the world as instruments of peace because we're grounded and rooted in the God of peace.